So, let's start then. We're all here. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let's say a few words, since we have about an hour or 45 minutes. <clears throat> and this is what I want to tell you. You see, um, humankind, all mankind, all human beings that live, lived and will live on this planet, um, are in state of, of war. Now, what do I mean by that? It's not only that on our planet we have uh, terrible things happening, you know, one nation rising against another nation, murders, assassinations, bloodshed. That is bad enough, right, as, as we have it. But there is far fiercer and far deeper and far more important war that is going on with mankind that we should, as Orthodox Christians, we should be aware of. And we should know this, that we are in the thick of a battle. And what is this battle, right? This war, this battle, is the war that the devil is waging against human beings. This is a reality. As Orthodox Christians, we should be absolutely, abundantly clear about this. Know this and make conclusions about it, right? So what is this war? Devil hates God. That is what we know. That devil hates God because he's the rebellious archangels who wanted to put his throne above the throne of God. And because of his pride, he was cast out of heaven. But since he cannot fight with God, against God directly, God is almighty or powerful, and how can he fight against him? He's fighting with God, against God, through the beloved creatures of God, who are human beings. Because God loves human beings so much, because we were created in His image, because He cares and He loves us so much, that is why devil has chosen us to fight against Him. As if by defeating us, by separating us from God, by distorting the image of God that we carry within ourselves, he will be victorious over God. This is the most important battle that we are waging from the day we are born to the day we die. We might not know it, and as Orthodox Christians we should know it. We might not want it, we might not, you know, care, but the fact is that no matter if we know or want, the battle is waging against us. So, people who are in the battle, some people might be ready and aware of it, and they're there to defend themselves, right? But people who are not aware of the battle, even though they're not aware, they're in the battle uh, nonetheless. So that doesn't make their situation any better. But how is the devil waging war against human beings? And there's one answer through sin. Sin is the opposition to the law of God. God gave us His commandments, His precepts, His, uh, showed us His will of how to be humans. He created us and showed us also how we're supposed to be humans in order to fulfill the purpose of being humans, being united with God. In opposition to this uh, commandments which our Savior gave us to love God,
to love our neighbor, to be charitable, to be compassionate to all the precepts that are given by a Savior in opposition to these. Devil is instilling us, he's teaching us his commandments, his precepts. And what are they? Sin. Sin is the opposition to the will of God. Everything that is good is the commandment of God. Everything that is evil is sin. And it is through sin that the devil is trying to separate us from God by instilling in us what is in opposition to God. And this is the battle that we're waging, to keep the commandments of God and by keeping them to stay away, to uh, keep away the sin, the poison of sin with which the devil is trying to uh, separate us from God. Now, sin is here and we all fall because we are uh, weak human beings and we all make mistakes and so forth. But there are degrees in what is called uh, sin. One is when a person falls and then gets up straight away, right? That is as if we're in the battle and suddenly somebody gives us a wound, but we don't fall down and say that I don't want to fight anymore. We get up straight away and we continue the battle, right? That is something that is expected from all Orthodox Christians, right? That we, yes, we were wounded, but we continue. We are bleeding, but we'll continue the battle, right? What is different is to follow the law of sin. Right? Not simply to fall and get up, but to follow the law of sin. And what is that? When we capitulate, meaning that we make excuses to our sins. When we fall into something we shouldn't do. We were disobedient to our parents. We, didn't, we were not sincere. We lied. We did things that we know the precepts, we know the commandments. We were not charitable. We judged somebody. And not only did we do that, but we persisted and excused ourselves in it. Right? That is following the law of sin. And that is not only to be wounded and get up again, but to be wounded and then to fall and not to want to fight anymore. And not only that, it will lead us to join the camp of the enemy. Because if we start excusing our mistakes, if we start excusing the sin, the things that we're not supposed to do, we're already abandoning the camp of God and the saints, and we are joining the other side, which is a most terrible thing, right? But there's one way, one way that the devil uses, above every other, to make us, to change our allegiance, to change our sides. I said that we all fall and we all get up. And every human being has fallen. Every human being made mistakes. Every, even the saints who have attained to the heavenly kingdom, all of them were people who had their sins, but they got up with repentance and continued the struggle, right? But the, the, uh, that is something that happened to all, but the actually to become slaves of sin, to become people that are in entirely submersed in sin, and we don't have anymore the willingness to, to fight against sin. There's one particular method that the devil always uses to make us that way that is to separate us to that degree from God. And what is that? The Holy Fathers teach us that the first thing, absolutely first thing that the devil does to put a wedge between our heart and God's will so that we are not anymore 
repentant sinners, but persisting sinners, right? Is to separate us from the divine services of the church. That is something abundantly clear that St. Isaac the Syrian, St. John Climacus, St. Simeon the New Theologian, they all tell us that. They all warn us about that. Saying that the moment you see in your heart that you don't feel, you don't want to be at the holy services of the church, that you're bored, not just bored for a few minutes, but you're already fed up with, the, with that, right? And you don't want to go to church. And there's that, it's only a feeling first, right? Grab it with your both hands and root it out of your heart because that is the beginning of darkening. That is the beginning of not anymore being repentant sinners, people who fell, but we uh, get up and ask forgiveness from our Savior. And we not excuse ourselves, but we say, I've sinned, I am at fault, nobody else, and my Savior, forgive me, bring me back to your fold, make me again to, uh, the, uh, uh, to be your faithful uh, uh, disciple and servant, right? That is the first thing that the devil does, beloved Christians, to instill in us a certain coldness first towards the divine services, then to skip the divine services one week at a time, then, you know, two weeks, then three weeks, and then to entirely them out from our hearts that is not to have concern for the divine services of the church yes we might believe that we are orthodox christians we are baptized we make our sign of the cross but it's not the same going to church and attending the divine services is not part of our life anymore and once that begins it's a downward spiral is there is no end to it until in the end we become entirely devoid of any faith in God. And it can happen so quickly, it can happen so, so without us even noticing it, that we might wake up one day and see we are entirely different reality. And that is because we were not careful. We were not careful with, the, with attending, uh, learning, immersing ourselves in the divine services of the Church. Because, to understand, what divine services are. Divine services are not simple repetitions. They're not simple, you know, learn a prayers by heart and that's it. It's not simple as, uh, simply us coming together to remember God, right? No. Divine services are windows to another world. The divine services of the church, they're doors to the heavenly kingdom. Not only doors, the heavenly kingdom is already there when the divine services are celebrated. They are alive. They're mystical. They transcend time and place. And that is what we are taught throughout the lives of the saints. That is what we are taught by the services themselves. Right? So, when we are celebrating, for example, the transfiguration of our Savior, right? The services tell us that, come, let us go up into the mountain with our Savior, with Peter and James, and John and be here for, for there with his at his transfiguration. This is not simply uh, poetical uh, saying, right? It is actually the fact that when we immerse ourselves in the divine service and we listen to what is being celebrated, what is being taught, what is it that the church is doing
by celebrating the transfiguration on this day, right? When we do all that, we are there. We are there on the transfiguration day. We are there on the day of Pentecost. We are there on the resurrection of our Savior. Because when we are in the church, time ceases to exist. We become direct participants of what the church, what, whatever feast the church is celebrating. Not only us, but the saints are there. The angels are there. That is all a given in the church. For example, for the feast day of the Theophany, right, in the vigil, when the uh, for the blessing of the uh, uh, no during the royal hours of the of the Theophany, we chant about the uh, coming of our Savior to be baptized in the Jordan, and we the, the uh, that chant which is done at the ninth hour of the uh, of, for the feast of Theophany, we finish by saying and. John, who was, who was the baptizer, who, who baptized our Savior, be you here with us and direct the feast for us, right? And that is not poetry. St. John is truly there, and truly he is directing the feast of us. Truly he is, not only he, but every other angelic order, the saints, they're there to, to be with us and be open the doors of the, of the heavenly kingdom at the moment of the, uh, of the divine services. We read in the life of St. Spiritan how when once he was serving and there were not no chanters in the, in the uh, church when he was serving and yet the whole angelic choir was there to give responses to the, uh, to the petitions that he was uh, making. So in peace let us pray to the, for the, uh, 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 to the Lord. There were no chanters but there was a boom of voice coming from whom? From the angels that are always present in the church. We might not see them with our uh, 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 fleshly eyes, but they're there. And it only takes our persistence, it only takes our devotion, our faithfulness to the church and its services for our inner eyes to be opened and to feel the presence that this is not an empty building. This is not just us being here. It's us and our Savior with all His saints. That is what we read in the Gospel this morning, where two or three are gathered in my name, and that means when we are gathered to pray, I am there with you. This is a promise of our Savior to us, and His is the mouth that does not lie. He doesn't give empty promises. And we know this over and over again. First and foremost, He is with us in the Eucharist, when we partake His body and blood. What a great gift humankind received. What great weapons we received to fight against the enemy who wants our destruction. Our Savior is on our side. All the saints are on our side. All the archangels are on our side. They're telling us, be with us, stay with us, cling upon us, right? And you will win as well, with us. This is what he's promising us. This is what he's telling us, the only condition on our part. All that is offered, all the weapons, the breastplate and the shield and the helmet and the uh, a sword, all the spiritual things that we need to battle against the, uh, the enemy, right, are given to us. Our only thing that we should put on our part is to hang on to them, is to grab them with our both hands and say, I want to be on the good side on this battle. I don't want to be a traitor. I don't want to be a weakling, a coward either. I want to be a true disciple, true soldier 
of our Savior, not for anybody else's sake, of course, for the sake of love towards Him, but for my own salvation. Because I, if I don't do that, if I don't stand on my both feet and understand that I am in the battle and there's a war being waged against me, against my heart, against my soul, right? Then we are lost. But that's not what we want. And we have given, we are given everything to win this battle. We are given everything, starting, as I said, with the divine services. They are the key. Uh, dear Christians, listen to this. The services, without the services, without celebrating the mysteries and the services, there is no uh, salvation. There is no Christianity. Unless we instill that in our hearts, unless we make that as an absolute must in our daily lives, that our life depends, our survival depends on our relationship, our connection, our uh, ties with the church and everything that is celebrated in the church, then we are on our own. And when we are on our own, we are become a plaything of the, of the demons, right? So to go back, to give another example of how the, the saints are present in the divine services, right? I'll give you a short story, a very moving story, about how they truly are. As I said, when we are in the services, whatever we are celebrating, we are there. It's a saint's uh, a day, a feast day, the saint is there, he's celebrating the, uh, uh, his, his, his own martyrdom or his own uh, feast day. And we are invited there to be there, right? So there's a very moving story about the, la the miracle of five uh, martyrs of Greater Armenia who were martyred in the uh, 3rd century. Their names are Sevstratios, Auxentios, Mardarios, Evgenios and Orestes. They were truly great confessors of, of our Saviour. They were martyred with terrible tortures and they all confessed our Saviour until the end. Now, somewhere, I think it was on the island of Crete, there was a, a temple dedicated to these uh, uh, martyrs. And uh, w every year the priest and the whole populace would go from the village to this uh, uh, temple, to this church, to celebrate the memory of the martyrs. And one year there was such a storm, there was such a blizzard, that the people couldn't make it. And the priest went up there alone, and he was wondering what he should do. It was he himself there, I think though he had one other person, or maybe him alone, but he didn't want to give up. He had, he loved the saints, he loved the, these martyrs, and he wanted to keep their feast as we, as it's, it's ought to be done every year to be to celebrate the feast, uh, feast of the saints. So he said, I shall start the, uh, the vigil and whatever it is, it, it will happen. So he starts the vigil for the, for the saints and in the middle of it, five men enter into the church, right? And one takes the place of a chanter, another of Eson, another so forth. And they start to chant melodiously, right? In the middle of the, of the uh, uh, vigil, when, the, when we stop at Vespers and start the matins, there's always time to read the life of the saint that we're celebrating, right? So one, was, one of them was given the uh, blessing by the older one to read the life of the saint, right? So uh, he was reading the life of the saint and when uh, time came to mention the martyrdom, martyrdom of, I think it was Eugenius. 
and it says in the life that uh, when Eugenius had uh, seen the uh, martyr, the, the uh, weapons with which he was going to be martyred, he was actually going to be burned, right, uh, on the on the uh, uh, on the coals or on fire. When he had seen that, he, he, in the life it says he cringed. But the person who was reading reading it said, and he grinned. And one who was the leader of them, he hit the, uh, the floor with his stuff and said, read as it says. And again he continued and said, instead of cr he cringed, he grinned. And a third time he said, read it as it says. And when he read that, in the end he said it was that he truly cringed of what was uh, coming. At that time they all disappeared. And that very moment people came into the chapel and they continued the vigil. Who were these five? They were the very martyrs themselves who had come to celebrate their feast to help the uh, priest who was, who was there alone. And they the ones who conducted the service. And it was the person, I think, I think it was Eugenius or maybe it was Orestes. It was, he was reading his own martyrdom. And when it came to say that he had cringed, he wanted to correct uh, a bit and said, no, I didn't cringe, I grinned. I was, I was brave right from the beginning to the end, right? So the saints have sense of humor, <laughs> as uh, we, 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 are, uh, we, we know that, right? So we see how in, in, in a most marvelous way we're instructed that the saints are present there for their feast days. We are instructed by a Savior himself that he is with us at every mystery, at every service what is missing from our part that we should be there and that should be done that is uh, that is one thing that is asked of us to take ourselves to to make ourselves be faithful consistent diligent in keeping these ties this bond with the divine services of the church alive because as i said it's not a bond with simple uh, vain repetition of words no it's a living bond with our savior with, us, with, with, his, with his Holy Mother, with all the saints. It's a rendezvous, it's a place of meeting, of heaven and earth, and we should be present. If we want our salvation, if we want to win this battle, if we don't want to become a plaything of our enemy, who wants our destruction, then that is the way, that is the way, uh, a sure way of us attaining to it. If we love the services, if we force ourselves to love the, the services. Whenever the Saturday evening comes and, well, it's time to go to Vespers for, for the church, instead of saying, well, it's, you know, I'm going to go there tomorrow anyways for liturgy, so why go for Vespers? No, plug that thought out of, of your heart because the celebration of Sunday starts at the Vespers. It starts at the, in the evening. By going there for Vespers, we are saying to our Savior that I'm here, I'm getting ready to partake of you, partake your body and blood. When, we, when Sunday comes, right, and something else comes up which is of worldly nature, right, never ever to allow in our thought, the, uh, in ourselves a thought that it's optional to go on Sunday to the church. Just as long as we don't have anything else to do, then we'll go to church. No, that's not the right thinking. What are we telling to our Savior? That when I get uh, into order all my things in life, then I will have time for you? Is that the kind of thing that we want to show our Savior? No. He told us, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all else 
shall be given to you, right? Then we should show that, that Sunday is dedicated to us, it's the day of the resurrection. He wants us, he's inviting us to, to the temple to go to, the ch to church and to partake of him. When we put aside things, even things that we find they're important for our careers in life, for our education, for whatever, family affairs, right? When we force ourselves to say and say to ourselves that, no, I will put my trust in my Savior. He promised us that if we choose Him over anything that is earthly, He will take care of all the other, other things, right? If we show this in our heart and we break that, that uh, unwillingness of ours to trust Him, right, and go to church, and we make this into a habit, a habit just as any other thing of without which we don't find ourselves even functioning. I mean, none of us would think, you know, that uh, brushing our teeth is optional, right? No, it's not. It's something of a habit, right? And to dress properly and to do all the things that we find, of course, we should do it every day. If we can do this in earthly life, right? If we are so meticulous of keeping track of things in our worldly affairs, right? That we won't even imagine of skipping work whenever we want to, right? It's out of question because we know that this is something we're supposed to be doing. How much more diligence we should put in attending church like that, in having that attitude towards the church, that the church is the source of life for me. If, and I have to keep this ties, this bond with the church, above every other bond that I have in the world, right? How much more? Because on it depends our salvation. So what I'm saying is that if it's possible to be diligent in other things, it is possible to be diligent in matters of, uh, of uh, our church attendance, right? And if we apply, many fathers taught us that how to apply things that we already are proficient in, in worldly things, to apply what seems you in religious things, right? That's why they always brought the examples of the uh, athletes, for example, or of warriors, how meticulous they are. When somebody goes into a battle, he's meticulous in taking everything, in being ready, in getting up early to, to uh, test his courage and so forth, because otherwise he won't survive. When an athlete is training, he's meticulous. He won't miss a single day for, for his training, for his for, for physical uh, uh, workouts and so forth, because he knows that, that this is, for him, life. On this depends his success, right? Well, if it is possible for humans to do that, right, and people have a, a accomplished unbelievable, th unbelievable things by being diligent, right? Uh, people have reached the moon by being diligent, right? Well, it is possible then. It is possible just by looking at our earthly way of organizing things to be diligent in things pertaining to God. But we are not saying that it's only by our diligence. We are saying that if we put a little bit of ours, God is there himself to help us. He is there himself with his saints to take us by the, uh, our hand and to lead us, right? So it's not our, ourselves, as in time is, uh, as I said, the athlete and the warrior, the soldier. He relies on his skill only. But we in the church, we don't rely on our skill. We only re we'll rely on God first, knowing that if we show a minimal, minimal diligence in doing our part, the rest, our Savior himself will be there with his saints to aid us. Right? So let's keep this in mind, beloved Christians. 
because the the sin as i said which is the weapon of the devil right can creep in very very stealthily it won't appear as something blatantly sinful it will try to present itself in matters that that are don't look as that bad but nonetheless they if they they can drag us away from the church right that way of pre of the sin presenting itself to us we call worldly ways the worldly ways are in opposition to the godly ways but the stealth of the worldly ways is that it doesn't out of itself present itself as something clearly sinful right it can be a distraction an entertainment as something of a some uh, seemingly innocent thing but if we allow it if we allow that to govern our life over and at the expense of our attendance to the church our time for prayer our time for pa pa fasting time for reading time for celebrating the feasts of the church right then that will drag us away from the church that is why the fathers have, have taught us to fight against the worldly ways, right? To allocate to the things of the world its low place in our life and never allow them to govern our daily lives, right? Church governs our daily lives. Church is the priority. Church is around which we should uh, allow everything else to revolve. And that is what is expected from us. This is not something of a grand achievement if we do it even, because that is something we vowed to do in the baptism. When we said that we will turn back on devil and all its pomp and it, all its uh, uh, every other thing that he has with which he drags away from Christ and we will turn towards Christ and follow him, right? This is how we do it, by tying ourselves to the church, by tying ourselves to the godly things and allow them to govern our daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, our whole life. And you will see how it is possible. It is possible because we know from experience, experience of human beings like us, who now we call saints. Human beings like us who were able to do all that I just described, they're called saints. And that's why they're saints, because they tried and with the help of God, they accomplished it, right? So, it's not like our Savior is telling us something that is impossible to achieve. He's not telling us theoretical things only. He's telling us, look, there are people like you, who have mistakes like you, who have faults like you, who have failings like you, but with my grace, they were able to do that, right? St. Seraphim of Seraph, whom we celebrate today, Prophet Elias, an incarnate angel, that is an angel who was among men, we call him, right? That's how much holiness they attained to. And they were of the same uh, uh, stuff, made up of the same stuff as ourselves. But they were able to do it, and it's a great encouragement to us to know that this is not something theoretical up there. This is something very practical, possible. With God, it's possible to put Him first, to put the church first, to put the commandment first and to put an, in opposition to the worldly values, the worldly aspirations, the worldly things that, as I said, out of themselves at first look, they might not sound as sinful, but if we allow the world to govern our mind, if we allow the world to govern our heart, 
if we allow the world to, and its values to be something with which we view the world, forget it. Then there won't be space in our hearts. There won't be place left in our heart for God and His commandments and His faith. So let us keep this in mind, beloved Christians, that we're in the thick of the battle, right? And we don't want, maybe we don't want to admit it to ourselves. Maybe we don't want to look at it at the world that way. We want to, things to be peaceful and nice and cozy. We might want to think all we want, but the fact is that we are in a battle. And the sooner we realize it, sooner we take up the arms, the spiritual arms and weapons that were given to us, the better for us. Therefore, let's be always ready, like St. Paul tells us, that be like soldiers, ready to fight, like athletes, ready to take their prize. Because life is short. We are young, then we grow up, then we're old, there goes the life. And when we look at the life from the other side, that is, once we are grown old, we'll say, how much time did I waste on things that I could have used for my salvation? How much time did I waste on things that I don't even want to remember now, instead of spending them in reading the lives of saints, in listening to the chants, in looking at the icons, in participating in the uh, mysteries of our Savior, right? And then it will be of to great regret. But it's, it's always possible to start anew. Every day is a new possibility to realign ourselves, to readjust ourselves and to uh, re-consecrate ourselves to the Church. So let's make that as uh, uh, something to think about today. As St. Herman of Alaska, the enlightener of, of uh, the Americas, said, let us from this moment, from this day, from this very hour and from this day, let us make Christ our everything. Let us make Christ our, th our food for our thought, for our minds, for our hearts. Let us recall every minute that passes let us reconsecrate ourselves to Christ, our Savior, so that we also be deemed worthy of those things that His saints were deemed worthy, who were people like to us, but are now are in the heavenly kingdom as our intercessor. Okay?